0: All right, you can flip your bulletins back over, and we are in a a brand new series. If this is your first Sunday, you've come on a very good Sunday, because we're starting a brand new series called Life Is, Understanding God's Illogical Love for Us. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. It's a few years old. It had Drew Carey and, and, and the other guys from Drew Carey's first show. If you're a young person, you know Drew Carey as the new Bob Barker, but we know that Drew Carey will never be the Bob Barker that we knew from Price is Right, if you ever watched that. And so, but Drew Carey used to have a show, and then he had another show called Whose Line It Is Anyway, something like that. I believe that's what it was called, where they would have a bunch of comedians, and they would... They would do different funny sketches and skits, and one of my favorite ones they did is when they would get a, 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 an object, just some weird object, a, a pool noodle, a tennis rack or something like that, and they would have a contest to see who can make up the most uh, different uses for this object. Does anybody, put your hand up if you remember this show. If you don't remember the show, you're younger than us, and so everybody look around at them and just, you know, just hate them because they're young and stuff like that, and they don't know who Drew Carey is, and so anyway, that's kind of the history of Drew Carey. I just gave you that. You don't need a Wikipedia or anything like that, but they would do all these different 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 kind of skits and they would say oh this pool noodle is now a you know a hat or this pool noodle is is the side of a coffee cup and I'm a coffee cup it's so hilarious it was a lot funnier uh, than that what I found to be true about life if we were going to talk about life is because it's kind of this big thing if I said what is life we would come up with a million different definitions we would have a million different ideas in fact I googled what is life? Just to see what different people had said about life. Uh, you, you guys remember the author, the, the poet Robert Frost. This is what he said about life. He said in three words, I can sum up everything I learned about life. It just goes on we know that's true about life. Like, as soon as you die, the people that you left are going to mourn you, right? You've never died, so you don't know this, but I've been to funerals, right? So you're going to die. They're going to put you in the ground. All of your, 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 your life is kind of in that room, and you're kind of this, this shell of a who you were because your soul's not there anymore. You're either with God or, or I believe you're far from God at that moment. It's, a, it's kind of a big deal. and so But you're in this room, and, and, and the truth is that they're, going to, they're going to kind of have a party and celebrate, and, and they're going to talk about memories. But within a few years, everybody's just going to have moved on. That's life. Like you can make all this money, you can do all of these things and you, you're, not, you're not, like nobody takes a U-Haul with them to, the, to, the, to get buried, like that's, that's life. And Another guy, Jimi Hendrix, he was really smart, he said, I'm the one that's gotta die when it's time for me to die, so let me live my life the way I want to. Everybody's gonna die, I know I gotta die, so let me live the life. Even in the Bible they talk about life. There was a writer named Solomon, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, he's kind of an old bitter man at this point, he's, he's kind of miserable, he's kind of full of shame, he has a bunch of regret, he did a bunch of things he's not proud of, but in, in the, his last days he kind of turns his life around, and he writes this book to young people, and this is what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse number 12, he says, I, the teacher, the king over Israel and Jerusalem, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is under the heavens. And then he says this, he says, what a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. Like, what a heavy burden. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun, all of them are meaningless, the chasing after the wind. I've done it all. I love the words in that song. There's so many that are out there seeking for answers they'll never find, because it's only found in one person. Here's what I know about about life, and you can come to two conclusions. You can believe that you're here by accident, two people got in the back of a Chevy, had a drive-in movie theater, had a passionate experience, made you, you popped out, and you're kind of a mistake that's just accidentally here. Or you can believe two people did that and it kind of was a mistake to them, but God somehow worked out the plan and put you, I'm not saying you came out that way, but maybe you did, and so I'm trying to speak to to that person today. You came out on the scene, and you can believe either one of two things, that you're here by accident, and so you kind of just established this definition, or you can believe that maybe somebody put you on this earth at this exact moment in history, and here's the thing, in order for you to understand life when you come to that conclusion, you need to get to know the person who sent you. You need to get to know the person who who defines life. And so today, as we start to talk about life for the next six weeks, we're going to do, hey, what does life look like? What's the point of it? Why why are you here? But today, I think before you ever kind of get in the car and start driving through the journey of life, you need to understand the basis of life, the significance of life is this, is life, number one, is to be loved by God. The beginning of purpose on this life is for you to understand the love that God has for you. We do a lot of celebrating about love in our culture, but the truth is we don't know anything about it. Love is a feeling, love is an emotion, love is something that's here, one moment gone, the next. And so when we talk about love, we have a very generic understanding of love. Let me give you an an example. I know what chicken is. Anybody else ever have southern fried chicken? Put your hand up in the air. Southern fried chicken. If you never had it, you know, we feel bad for you in this place. Because if you're from Pennsylvania, you haven't ever had it. If you had pizza, put your hand up, because that's what you've eaten your entire life. But in the South... They have southern chicken. In fact, they'll do things like potlucks at churches where, where all these sweet ladies will make fried chicken, and you'll eat it, and you know, you'll know you just have prayed about grace, and you need the grace of God to, to digest the fried chicken you're about to eat, because you're going to be a complete glutton as you go into that place. And so I know what fried chicken's like, and I know my wife's in Plymouth, Meeting. I don't know if she's listening or not, but when we first got married, she couldn't cook at all. Like, she just couldn't cook at all. We've been married 13 years. She can cook now. Like, she's one of the best cooks I've ever eaten. I love her food, but when we first got married, I didn't know how to cook. I still don't know how to cook because I don't want to have to cook. And so, but she, she has learned how to cook. When we first got married, we ate ramen noodles all the time. We ate spaghetti all the time. We bought a grill, so we grilled out, and we'd take a frozen bag of vegetables and throw them out. Like, that's what we ate every day. We went out to eat all the time. We, we were not the healthiest people. In fact, we were not the healthiest people that after two years of marriage, I had put on 30 pounds of, of love weight. And so anyway, like, so about two years into our marriage, we're kind of going through this routine. I came home one night and she was cooking something different I could smell that it was different and so as I was looking at what she was cooking I said what's that she said it's chicken it's good fried chicken it's breaded chicken I was like I was like all of my prayers are coming to pass right now like God you're a good good father that's who you are you know that's like I, I, and so I started to eat this chicken and I was like like I know fried chicken this is not fried chicken this this is not chicken and I asked her and she'll tell you I said is this what is it she said it's chicken so I kept eating it and I kept thinking to myself, dear God, if you would just rapture us now because it's not going to get any better. I know I'm 30 pounds overweight but, but I might die so I'm eating it. So I ate all the chicken and we're cleaning up and I, as we're cleaning up I go into the trash, shows on the way and out I pull a box of, I think it was tofu or something like that, breaded tofu and I pulled it out. She was trying to send me a signal. The signal was you're fat, you need to lose weight, we're going to eat tofu now. But here's the thing, she couldn't fool me with the tofu because I have tasted fried chicken before. If you've tasted fried chicken, if I never had fried chicken, that tofu might have tasted like magic compared to the frozen vegetables and the ramen noodles and the spaghetti. But I've had fried chicken, so don't tell me it's fried chicken and feed me tofu. That's (laughs) me. See, for many of us, we we talk about love, but we've never experienced The real love, we've only experienced generic love. We've only experienced the tofu love. And so what I want to get you is I want to get you away because I think all your insecurities, I think your valuelessness, if that's a word, I think your lack of of ability to move forward, I think your lack of ability to see purpose in your life, I think your lack of self-worth, I think your lack of of everything else, it's not found inside of you. It's found when you stop eating the tofu and you, for for once, you taste the fried chicken because when you taste the fried chicken, you're never going back to the tofu You're never going back and saying, this is okay. You might bear it at some moment, but you know what the fried chicken tastes like. When you understand God's love for you, you're never going to be okay with a generic love. And so I want to take you into a story today because I think this is such an important aspect in your life. I think if you're a Christian, I I don't know about you, but sometimes I just need to be reminded of how much God loves me. Not because, I'm, not because I, I, I'm, I'm arrogant, but because it just, it, just, it just touches my heart to know how much that I'm loved by God, to know that I'm not carrying the burden. Like when I got in my car last week, and we had a lot to celebrate on, on Sunday in our church, but some weeks are like that, some weeks are not like that, but I got in my car, we're going to get a stuffed, I'm going to pick up a stuffed crust pizza at Pizza Hut because the commercial kept being on during the Eagles game, so finally I gave in to the commercial and my son Carter, and by mistake, we went and got the stuffed crust pizza, and that is a mistake, let's not. let's not forget it and as I'm pulling there I have my wife's phone because my phone doesn't work in the car because my jack is messed up and that's a different story and I put the thing in and I see on her phone a good good father I'm like what's that song and I click it and immediately the song came on you're a good good father and at that moment I don't know if you've ever been there and I don't like to talk about crying but it just hit me like I'm so thankful that I know the love that God has for me I'm so thankful that I know how he feels about me. I'm so thankful that I know how much that he's there with me even when I let him down. I'm so thankful that the foundation of my life is is not the need to please a a religious uh, being or the need to please other people, but I know that God is well pleased with me because of his son, Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand that if you've never heard of God's love and you've never experienced God's love, I want you to maybe grasp that here today. But we're going to go to an Old Testament uh, book called Ho- Hosea. Everybody say Hosea. Hosea has a wife named Gomer. Everybody say, oh no. When you have the name Gomer, there's, there's stuff not looking up for you. I know, I know he's a good, good father, but that's about all you got when you have the name Gomer in your life. That may be the worst girl's name I've ever heard in my life, and so... I want to talk to you about Hosea and Gomer today. I don't have a lot of time to read the book with you, uh, to read through stories. I'm going to read one little passage, but I want to kind of explain to you what's happening in this book. And I, it's one of my favorite books. It's one of the greatest love stories uh, in in the Bible, besides the Gospel. I think it's such a powerful message. The message is emulate, and oftentimes God will ask this. This is this guy's a prophet in the Old Testament. He will ask the prophets to do something that practically will illustrate His love his love and his compassion for his people. So the next time you're going through something in your life that feels like God is making a mockery of you, think back and go, no, maybe God is putting me through this so that he can illustrate to other people his faithfulness, his love, his compassion, his mercy. He does that in our lives. So he has this prophet named Hosea and let me just kind of show you what happens in the Old Testament. I can sum the whole Old Testament up in a few sentences. You have Adam and Eve. They screw up. They eat the fruit. They get clothes on. Everything kind of goes bad. Noah builds an ark, right? Everybody kind of gets wiped out except for his family. The earth kind of gets repopulated. A man named Father Abraham, you know, you were one of his sons and so am I. He comes on the scene. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob and, and, and Esau. Jacob and Esau, they got all sorts of problems. Jacob ends up stealing Esau's birthright. He has a a bunch of kids, right, and so one of his kids named, named uh, Joseph goes to Egypt, I know I'm spitting a lot out at you, but I'm just kind of summarize that, goes to Egypt, he ends up kind of being a, a pretty important part of Egypt, God's people go to Egypt, they become slaves after some different things happen in their life, eventually God brings them out and sends them to the promised land, they wander for 40 years because that's what we do all the time with God, we, we're always like, are you sure God, are you sure God, are you sure God, and God's going, would you stop, turn around in circles and just, I'm sure, Are you sure, God? Are you sure, God? Eventually, they get to the promised land, right? They win a bunch of battles. They need God because they need need God to win these battles because they are outclassed, outmanned, outarmied. God helps them, protects them, gets them into the promised land. They establish themselves with God. They want a king. And for about a bunch of hundred years, they kind of go through this cycle where they want a king. A bad king comes in. Stuff goes good. And they kind of wander away from God. Every time it goes good, they get away from God. Every time it goes bad, they come to God. I don't know if you can relate to that, but I know a lot of people in this church act like that. As soon as they come back to church, you're like, okay, now what emergency are you in? As soon as it goes good, they're like, I don't need God. I got a, I got a boyfriend now. It's over. And then you see on Facebook, they're not Facebook official anymore. They break up. The next Sunday, you see them in the front. <laughs> Look at that guy over there. Who's that guy? You are a good, good father right there. That's my good, good man. And so anyway, that's kind of what goes on, right? I just kind of threw you out. So anyway, they would go away from God. So God would send a prophet and speak on, the prophets would speak on his behalf and say, you know what? Y'all are being dumb. Y'all need to come back. You're worshiping the creation instead of the creator. Let's come back. And so prophets would come on the scene. Hosea is a prophet. He comes on the scene when everything's going well for the people. They have a lot of money. They got a lot of power. But they have fixated their eyes on the wrong thing. They've cheated on God. God's rescued them from Egypt. He's given them everything they had, rescued them from slavery, which is a picture of the gospel, by the way. God has rescued you from slavery. He's rescued you from shame. He's rescued you from your past. And then all of us in this room tend to have the audacity, even though God has rescued us from the nakedness of our sin, to as soon as we get clothed in his righteousness, forget who clothed us. And they started to fixate their eyes, and he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. Before we get into talking, I want to show you how much I love these people. So here's what I want to do with your life. Hosea, I want you to go marry a promiscuous woman. I mean, I don't know if that would fly in this church if we had a staff member. Hey, I know I'm not married. God told me to go to to Hooters, and I'm going to marry this girl over at Hooters. It's totally fine, though. There's nothing wrong with 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 the the girl there, except they probably don't know Jesus. But I'm going to marry them, bring that back. It's going to be totally fine. And I would go. Are you sure God talked to you? Hosea goes in. He marries this woman named Gomer. Gomer, promiscuous woman. And so he gets married to her. Right? Hosea chapter one. The Bible says he gets married. He has a couple kids with her. He literally rescues her. When you're a promiscuous woman at the time, you're nobody. You're a piece of meat. You're only as good as your body. She was always going to be that. I don't know if you've ever been there in your life when you did something and you kind of were labeled that. She was labeled this. She was a prostitute. She was a a whore. She was a hoe. I don't know what other word I could use to get you to understand that. She was nothing. So the man of God comes and marries her, brings her out of that lifestyle, has a couple kids with her, stays faithful to her, and she does what most of us do. She has it all given to her, and she wanders back into her old way of life. The Bible says she goes and she seeks out other men. I mean, if I'm Jose, I'm going, what, God? You told me to marry her. What are you doing? And God's saying, I'm trying to teach you a lesson that she's going to speak to the people to show them the way that I love them. The Bible says she wanders back. She starts to sleep with other men. She leaves her kids. She's being promiscuous again. She, she made a mistake after she was already a mistake. So what is, 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 is Hosea to do with, with Gomer? What does God do with us when we're far from, from God? How do we understand God's love? The Bible says in, in, in Hosea chapter 2, After all this is going on in verse 14, and you'll see this a couple times in the book of Hosea, God's kind of speaking, He's like, I'm done with you, but I can't because I love you. I should get rid of you, but I just can't stop thinking about you. I don't know if you've ever been there with somebody with a kid. I'm done with you. Don't talk to me. And five minutes later, you're like, I I just love them. They're mine. I don't know why I love them, but they're mine. God's kind of in this cycle. You should be done with her, but you can't be done with her. And the Bible says in verse number 14, therefore, therefore, I'm going to go back to her and I'm going to allure her back to me. I'm going to lead her into the wilderness, the dry place, and speak tenderly to her. I'm going to give her back her vineyards and I'm going to make her valley of acor a door of hope. I'm going to make the, the valley that she's in, because she she's now, valley always represents hopelessness and pain and shame. I'm going to make this a door of hope. Then she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. He's talking about his people now. They've cheated on her, on, on God, but God's going to come back to them. See, here's what's so hard to understand about God's love is we, we, we typically don't understand love because we typically think a good love story is, 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 is kind of 50-50. It's said person on the beach with other said person on the beach running in slow motion said person on the beach meets the other said person on the beach in slow motion, and they embrace, and that's love. It's, it's hands interlocked. It's, it's a love story. Love is a two-directional thing, but here's what you need to understand about God's love for you today. God's love for you every time starts as a one-way affair. God's love for you every time starts as a one-way affair. I've been walking my kids to the bus every day uh, for the last couple years. It's been one of my goals as a dad. I just want to be there when they get on the bus. Some days it's, it's a little hectic. Some days we're walking up, and there's a little bit of, of anger going on. Why'd you get toothpaste all over your shirt? I don't know why kids do that. Why is your hair messed up? I've already done it three times. Why is that going on? But I want the last thing they see when they get on the bus for me to have calm down, right? And I want to kiss them and I want to send them on the bus. That's just what I want to do. If I can do that, I want to do that. I want them to know that, that I love them and I want them to know I'm praying for them to have a good day. So my, my son, Carter, Lincoln, they both go on the bus, 8 and 6. Now we walk up to the bus at the same time. The first couple days we just went, but Harrison started figuring out. Everybody was leaving him. he started flipping out. So about two days in, I started realizing I got to get him up now. I got to get him dressed like he's going to school and he's not going to school. I got to feed him and we got to walk him up to the bus. And by walk, I mean I got to carry him because he's two and it takes him 25 minutes to walk a half a mile. One of the cutest things about it is he thinks he's going to school. So he'll grab something like he's going and the boys always say bye to mommy, bye bye whatever, give hugs. And then he'll be like, bye mommy, see ya. I'm like, dude, you're coming back in five minutes. So we walk up the hills, goes uphill, around the thing, I carry him up, and usually I carry him up because we're in a hurry, because we're always running late, because I got three kids and they're crazy, and so we're getting up there, we're running up, we're always running, run, up to the bus, and we get up there, everybody's out of breath, but when we walk back, he usually wants, when we go back, it's downhill, he usually wants to walk, and so because I don't want him to trip, because I don't know if you've ever had a kid that gets going too fast and they fall, they get hurt, and then you get in trouble by your mom, by the mother, and so anyway, so I started saying, hold my hand. So for a long time, I would put my finger down because I'm the author of this little baby's life. I'm the, I'm the boss. You're going to hold my finger. So I'll put my finger down and I'll say, I'll say hold my finger. And So I want to show you, Dave, I need, I need you to come up here real fast. I want to show you how this looks. You're going to be Harrison. Come on up here, Dave. Let's give Dave a big hand real fast. Just step right up here for me. Just step right on that. You can step on that. It'll only cost $5,000. It's fine. Come on. So you be on this side of me because this is how it works. So for a long time, I'll put my finger out, right? This is a funny joke, so anyway, I put my finger out, can you all see this, and we would walk like this, so we would walk all over the stage, I'm not going to walk out of the light, but we would walk, and as he was walking, he, he, sometimes we'd be walking uphill, and because he had my finger, that's exactly what would happen, he would let go, and I'd say, hold my finger, and so we were walking again, and then he would get running too fast, and there was a couple times, you don't need to fall, but because he was holding my finger, he hit a rock, and he fell, right, and one time he fell, and I'm like, hold my finger better, so I put my finger, I'm like, hold it tighter. And God said, that is the wrong way to do it. And I said, what are you talking about, God? He said, that's not the way that I tell you to hold, to hold me. I don't put my finger out and say, hold on to it. And as long as you hold on, everything's going to be okay. So all of a sudden, you're holding, and you get out running too fast because that's what we do with God. And you trip, and God's going, see, stupid. Walk better. Hold my Come back here. Hold my finger better, right? You're in a relationship. You make the wrong choice. You trip and fall, and you're going, God's going, Dummy, hold my finger tighter. That's love, right? And so God said, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. You're such a moron. You're walking your kids up to the bus trying to be Jesus to them, and here you don't even hold your kid's hand right. And so this is what happened. God said, tell him to put his hand up. Put your hand up for me, Dave. And I like this. This is how his hand goes. It's usually like this, all limp and stuff like that. He said, now you grab his hand. So this is how you hold a kid's hand, right? And so we walk, right? And as we're walking, he tries to get ahead of me, right? And as he tries to get ahead of me, he tries to trip. Pretend you're going to trip. What happens? I pull him back up, right? He tries to get too far ahead. I hold him. He tries to let go, let go of my hand, and I'm going, no, 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 no. No, no, I love you. Why? Well, you're a little stronger than Harrison, the tiny bit. Your watch broke, man. I got to buy you a new watch right here. Sorry. That's what happens when you step on our equipment over there. So anyway, so you're holding him, right? And God said, that's love. That's love. That's love, not that Harrison holds your finger like this so you're old now so he can trip and then all of a sudden you let go and he lets go and you're like, what's wrong with you? I'm going, no, no. This is love where I'm holding you and no matter where you're going, no matter if you try to get out ahead, no matter if you trip, no matter where you're going, I'm holding you. All right, you can jump. Just jump down, man. Show us your athletic ability. There you go. Sorry about this watch. You want it? Okay. It's junk. That's love. That's love. See, I want you to understand God's love. Oftentimes we think it's like this. He has his finger up or down for us, and you're going, okay, God, I got you. And then you trip, and all of a sudden, because you, it's been all about you and what you're doing and how hard you're trying and how religious you are, and you trip and fall, and all of a sudden you're like, I fell. It's because you're trying to do the holding. You're trying to do the and You're trying to do the guiding. When God say, no, 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 I got you. Here's a couple things about God's love just real quickly that I want you to see. Number one is this. Is God's love for you right now is greater than any truth or wrong about you right now? God's love for you, I think we can relate with that if we're not believers. Like when I say to a non-believer, listen, I don't know who you are and I don't really care what you are. I don't care what's been said about you. I don't care what you bring into this place. Here's the truth. Is God's love for you is greater than any truth about you right now? I think a non-believer can go, okay. But when you get this wrong, when you're a believer, you have problems. When you are still in the assumption that love is 50-50, that God threw a ball down to you, you caught it, you threw it back up to God, he caught it, you threw it back down, and as long as you don't drop the ball, everything's fine. You're throwing it back up, God, we're playing. When God's saying, we don't play ball together. You're JV, I'm varsity, I don't play with you. I don't ask you to do that. And you're thinking, I've been holding God up, and you don't realize that you've never been holding God up. That it's not been your love for him that is making him go, and you're right, I am awesome. You love me so much. The Bible says the rocks would cry out if you didn't do it. Instead, you need to understand, because oftentimes what happens is, is we get saved, we can relate with that, okay, that's good, God loves me even at my lowest, and then we get saved, and then we drop the ball again. We start running, and we think we're holding on to God's finger, and we start running out, and we fall. And what's our first reaction? It's to run away from God. You know you don't understand the love of God if the very first thing you do when you drop the ball during the week, when you start running too fast, when you jump into a relationship, when you do something you're not supposed to do is not run back to the Father. realizing he's already got you anyways. If it's run away from God, I'm embarrassed, I'm ashamed. The Bible says there is no condemnation through Christ Jesus our Lord. That means when you start hearing about the mistakes that you made, you're not hearing the voice of God. See, there is not a mess that you've made in your life that he can't clean up right now. There was not a mess that you made in your life that he doesn't care about. I've told you about my son. I don't have a lot of time to keep telling you stories about them, but I told you a couple weeks ago, I showed you the picture of the, of the crap all over his back, and I said, that's the gospel. You remember that? Well, now he has figured out that he is tired of having it in his diaper. You come to a dangerous crossroads when your baby gets tired of having his poop in his diaper. He can either, one, be potty trained, but not my two-year-old. Oh, no. He wants nothing to do with the toilet. You want to go pee? No. What he started to do is he started to take his diaper off on his own. I don't know if you've ever walked in. If you are a parent, you remember this day you've walked in and your son has become Rembrandt all over the wall. That's the worst. Listen. There's things that are bad nightmares. That is the worst nightmare in the world. There's not a window big enough to just push the whole crib out at that point. <laughs> so a few weeks ago I came into him and he was in the room playing and I smelled something and I was like, "Oh no." I looked down his shirt's off. He's figured that out. His pants are down and his diaper is halfway down. He hasn't been able to get that fully off and I can smell it and see it that there's poop all over the place. I say, Harrison, what are you doing? He turns around. He has both fingers in the back of his pants, (laughs) yeah, yeah. it's not all, turns around and he puts it in in his finger (laughs) because that's what little kids do when they're in trouble. He just looks at me and I'm like, oh. I don't know where you go from there when that happens. What do, you, what do you do when your kid's fingers are in his mouth and there's poop in it? Leah, right? <laughs> Help. Rapture. Something. Stop my heart. I don't care what you do. So I start to do what all, what all godly parents do. I start to yell and freak out. And, and I can see the fear of God going into his eyes, right? Because he just made a mess that I don't want to clean up. So I'm yelling and I'm 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 mad at him and, and he's not crying, he's in that state of just embarrassed, bare shock. He's a two year old. So I wipe his fingers off and he's just kind of looking at me. I don't know if you have a baby that they're if you ever had a baby, their their lips starts to kind of quiver and they're looking at you, and he is waiting for my reaction. So as I'm freaking out, God says, What are you doing, moron? God said, Get down and do what I would do to you when you've put your fingers in your backside and put your poop in your mouth. <laughs> because you've all done that before in your life. The Bible says like a dog to its vomit. And so I got down on, on, on the ground and, and looked at him and I said, buddy, I still love you. And I could see at the moment because he, he had poop in his mouth. I was like, don't try to kiss me though. But he just, you have a baby and, or a kid and, and sometimes they're so upset about what they've done and they're not sure how you're going to react. And when you react the right way to them, even though you don't want to, you could just see his demeanor just, just melt. And he just melted into my arms, and it was at that, it was at, at that moment that he realized, man, nothing I'm gonna do is gonna keep daddy from loving me. That's the presence of God. Nothing that you do, you are you are Gomer, you have made a mess. Nothing you do is gonna keep God away from you, though. Number two is this: is God's love for you covers the distance that you've run. We're runners by nature. Soon as something bad happens, we wanna run. Think about it, Gomer has ran. The Bible says she's in the valley that represents a distance where she ran away from from the mountaintop, where she was married, she had a home, she she was valued, she was having a family. She screwed up royally. I don't know if you've ever been here. Like she threw it all away. And so she wanders away from, from from her husband. And she's in the valley, the Bible says. And here's what you need to know about when you're in the valley is you can't outrun God. His stamina is greater than your stubbornness. Some of you say, how do I know God's running after me? I'll give you two quick answers. Number one, you're sitting in church. I didn't know if you knew that or not. Number two, your heart's still beating. If your heart's still beating and you're sitting in church, then for some way God has outran your stubbornness. The Bible is clear in the book of Matthew chapter 11 that you can come to him if you're weary and burdened and he'll give you rest. In other words, you're not weary and burdened unless you've been running. If you're tired, it's because You're running. If you're weary from your life, it's because you're running. We are runners. Instead of when we mess up, we come back to God because his love for us is not based on if we mess up, if we trip, if we fall. Not understanding where where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Instead, you run. If you're tired of life, it's because you're running. But here's the thing. You can run as far as you want. God's faster. I often will tell my kids in the middle of giving them medicine when they're freaking out, I will say, you can freak out as much as you want. But I'm stronger than you. You can cry and you can kick. But I'm going to hold you down. And so many times we look and we try to run. And I think you need to hear this. You can run and you can kick and you can scream. And you can be frantic. But you need to understand that God's love for you is strong. His stamina is over your stubbornness. And number, number three is God's love for you is deeper than any hole you've dug yourself into. God's love for you is deeper than any hole that you've dug yourself into. I don't know if you can relate to this at all three of our campuses, but I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're like, I don't know if it can get any worse than this. I don't know if it can get any worse than this. I don't know if I could have done anything worse. I want you to picture this because you're going to have a hard time. If you just read the Bible, you'll have a hard time. Gomer didn't have anything and then she had everything and then she chose not to have anything. We've all been there. We don't have anything. God gets to us and we have everything and instead of having everything we wander away and we have nothing. She's wandered away from her husband who was faithful to her. She's wandered away from her kids. She's wandered away from the safety, from the protection, from the purposes of her life. She's wandered away from her being a mother. She's wandered away and the Bible says in Hosea chapter 3, it paints the picture that she goes back to her old way of life but it has gotten even worse. Even worse. It paints the picture of a woman standing nearly naked. I want you to picture this in front of a bunch of bidders. She has gotten herself into debt because of mistakes, maybe drugs. I'm not sure what it is, but she has gotten herself into a predicament, and she is being sold off into slavery to the highest bidder. Her head's down, and listen, she knows she deserves it. She's thrown her life away twice twice the Bible paints this picture of a bunch of people bidding on her I'll take her for this much I'll take her for this much and the Bible says that God goes to Hosea and he says go back and get your wife could you imagine that conversation what her name's Gomer God I'm not going back to he says go back and get your wife same thing God said to Jesus go back and get my people You're standing naked and ashamed the highest bidder is bidden for your life, you're in slavery the Bible says, your future is bleak, you've gotten yourself into a horrible predicament, and you just see her with her eyes down knowing her life is over, maybe going over the, the past mistakes she's made and all of a sudden she hears a familiar voice, it's Hosea, he's buying back his wife. That's love, he's buying back his wife and the Bible says that he rescues Hosea again from sin, and he takes her and they live the rest of their lives as faithful lovers, husband and wife. He buys her back from her lowest moment. There is not a pit that you've created. I don't know if you've ever been to the ocean and you dug one of those holes in the sand where you're super proud of it you're looking at your kids and saying, look how much muscle daddy has, look how great daddy is, look at this going on, and then the waves come in and they wash over that hole and it's gone, and you're like, all my work, all my effort. You dug this hole and the Bible says that God's love washes over that hole. He forgives your sins as far as the east is from the west. In the book of Ephesians, the prayer is that you would grasp how high, how long, and how deep that the love of God is for you. That you are the naked and ashamed person, but his love for you is not based on him putting his finger out and you holding on to him. That he has grabbed a hold of you and that he will never let you go. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never turn his back on you. He doesn't love you because you did everything to get to him. He loves you because you're his. And life starts at the understanding that even when you drop the ball as a follower of Christ, that God's love is still there. It wasn't there when you were perfect, and it doesn't remain there because you're perfect. Where your sin increases, grace increases all the more. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Would you stand with me all over this house? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? we have a few moments and I want that song if you would close your eyes we don't have time for the band to come back up and end the service out but if you would close your eyes I want you to hear those words he's a good good father that's who he is that's who he is that's who he is what are you and you're loved by him that's who you are that's who you are that's who you are he's a good father today he has a good plan for your life He's walking through this journey with you. And I want you to get the picture in your head. Maybe you've decided, you know what, I need to align myself with the higher power. I need to get closer to God. Listen, nothing you do gets you closer to God. God is closer than you think right now. While you're at your lowest, while you're in your greatest amount of despair, while you're the loneliest, while you're without the, the least amount of hope, that's where God meets you. That's where God meets you. God finds Gideon in a cave. He gets Daniel in the lion's den. He gets Joseph in prison. He has a way of finding you at your lowest. That's his love. There's not a pit you get into that he can't reach into. There's not a mistake that you make that his cross doesn't cover. If you're in this place and you are in a relationship with him, but you have never fully comprehended his love, listen, you are not holding God up today. He does not love you because you're a good person. He loves you because he's a good father. That's who he is. And you're loved. That's who you are. You're loved when you mess up. You're loved when you fail. You're loved when you fall short. You're loved when you're confused. You're loved when you don't trust him. You're loved when you're turning your back on him. That's love. Maybe you've never experienced it before. You've only experienced a generic form of love. You do right, and then they do right. You say what you're supposed to say. They do what they're supposed to do. But that's not love love comes to you and love is here right now at all three of our campuses love is here to change you to reach you to redeem you to set you free his name is Jesus you're standing here you're naked you're ashamed you're confused you're bitter Jesus buys you back by the power of the cross he pays the high price and the Bible says on the cross he cries out it is finished if you're in this place and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ At a Limerick and Plymouth meeting campus with the campus pastor standing in the front, you say, you know what? I don't know God's love. I don't know God's love. The beginning of your life on this earth is understanding God's love for you. I want to embrace God's love through his son, Jesus Christ. If you're in this place and you say, you know what, that's me. I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're at Limerick or Plymouth meeting, would you just shoot your hand up in the air and say, you know what, today I need to know God's love. I need to know God's love for me. I didn't know what he did for me. I want to put my faith, hope, and trust in him. If you're at Limerick or Plymouth meeting, would you shoot your hand up in the air so that our campus pastors can pray with you as we close. I'm going to give you a few more seconds to respond. Jesus is going to be the Lord of my life in this moment. Jesus is gonna be the Lord of my life in this moment. That's where life starts, knowing God's love. Would you pray with me, church? Jesus, we love you and we're so thankful for you. We're thankful for your love. We're thankful for your compassion. We're thankful for your word that never returns void. We're thankful for those that responded to your gospel today. We're thankful for those that, are, that you're setting free. We're thankful for those that are understanding your love for the very first time. And Lord, I'm thankful for those that are grasping and understanding your love in a deeper way that they're in relationship with you, but they're grasping and understanding your love, that when they fall, that a righteous man gets back up, but a righteous man doesn't get back up because of our own righteousness, but we live out the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, the resurrected Lord. Lord, for those that are asking you into their life right now, they're just praying, Jesus, we know who you are, and we believe in your love. We believe in your sacrifice. We believe you died on a cross for our sins, and we believe you rose from the dead, and it's through that belief that our life is gonna change forever. Your love is going to change us forever. Jesus, you are such a good father. That's who you are. Would that song resonate in our hearts and our spirits as we leave this place? Would we leave this place with joy, hope, and the peace that surpasses all understanding, Jesus? In your name we pray. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you clap with me all over this house?